Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, Drop. podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Danier, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. So last night, I was watching a sporting event. So the sporting event is actually one of the last places in America where you actually do have to look at ads. If you're not going to get up and do tasks during commercials, you're going to look at commercials during mm-hmm. a sporting event. And in fact, some of these sporting events now have in in progress. Like they have like a short break and they throw in a little six second ad, which actually I think is a brilliant innovation because, you know, I know the play is going to resume soon. So I'm kind of really stuck there to look at this ad. And, but then I thought about it. Ads haven't been innovated in a long time. And I'm looking at Uber and Netflix and all these companies who are now saying, we're going to introduce ads and somehow those ads are going to completely subsidize our business. And you know, one of the things that you've know, been talking about and that we continue to talk about is the product market fit. And so with product market fit, it's about having a product that people are willing to purchase from you and that you can create profitably. I texted Tam and I was like, I want to talk about this. I was like, because in some ways it sounds like what they're saying is if we introduce ads here, we suddenly will have product market fit, PMF. And I'm just like, but that's not true because the entire theory about PMF is that you have to have it, period. And if you add some ads, maybe that just adds a little secret sauce to your bottom line. And that's perfectly fine. Let's talk, let's get into it. Tam, can you advertise your way to PMF? That's an interesting way to phrase that question. I think you're talking about the Netflix move to add a lower price tier to add advertising um, to their pricing plans because they're losing subscribers, which is to your point, do you really have it if you're losing subscribers? And two, to just increase profitability. I think you're saying a lot of things. It's going to take some unpacking. Number one on the product market fit, do you have something that people are willing to buy enough that you can sustain a business out of it? And I think that Netflix has proven a lot of things over the years. One, they've proven that people want to watch streaming. That was a hypothesis that they had, that streaming would be a thing, that non-linear TV would be a thing. They could release shows in mass and they created this behavior around binging. But I think what they've really proven at this point is that they have the cost structure of an IP company, of a media company, of a Disney, Mm -hmm. of an HBO, and it's really expensive. They have the same costs as they have, maybe even more, but they don't have the franchise hits that they have, the kind of things that just have reoccurring revenue. And so they're constantly in this loop of trying to create a reason for people to be long-term subscribers. It's getting harder and harder and harder. If you were to ask me, what kind of plan do I have at Netflix? I have the add to the queue, but never actually watch plan. Facts. Or I have the, I seen the preview. I think I get it plan. I can't tell you when the last time I actually sat and watched something on Netflix, but I've been a subscriber for a long time. And they probably have a metric that can see who's on the bubble. Even though I would argue that they are not truly a tech company, that they are a media company that is bolstered by tech, they're a distribution company. And they were the first to pioneer using technology to distribute films and shows. Let's say that that's what they are. They are collecting a lot of data and that's where their competitive advantage was. That they know just how much Tam has been watching their show. They know how many times I've logged in. They know how many times I've responded or clicked on their ad. They know the amount of minutes. They know when I turned on the show, started it, stopped it, never went back to it. They probably have some kind of score on me that says Tam's on the bubble. If this continues for this much more time, she's likely to cancel. It probably can come up with some formula that tells them that. And that goes to the question of product market fit. Do you really have it? So then you're coming in trying to say, well, we don't think we really have it. 
but maybe we'll entice Tam or someone like Tam to go down to a lower price tier in exchange for watching ads. I think it's a short term strategy. I think it's the most obvious way to look at this problem. I think Netflix, and this is very hard to do, I'm not being glib about this, is the other way that they could have looked at this is said, how can we delight Tam enough to make this price seem exclusive? Instead of creating a tier that says, you're gonna get a lesser experience for paying less, why don't you give me a better experience for paying more? You're just saying, you're gonna get the same experience you've always had, no commercials, but the content's not any better. I don't have a say in what content gets produced. What benefit do I have for being this? Well, how much am I even paying? I should have looked that up. I just oh. keep accepting their price increases. <laughs> I don't even have four TVs. <laughs> I don't even know what I have. They just kind of built me into this kind of, your price is rising. And I'm just like, whatever. Here's the other point I want to make about this is I am the kind of person who pays not to see commercials. YouTube got me. I'm a premium subscriber for anything. I don't do commercials. The kind of people who want to market to me cannot market to me via ads. I'm not going to see them. You want my disposable income. And so I question the kind of people who will go down to this tier on YouTube. Your hypothesis is this is a target market that is low income or price sensitive. Who's going to market to them? I'm not marketing to them luxury goods. What is it that you're going to try to sell this market who doesn't want to pay more to not see ads? And do you think you're even going to have a captive audience? Because that's just an opportunity for me to go to a bathroom break or just check my phone like I usually do. All right. That's all I have. Well, of course, it's not all you have. We don't, we don't, we don't keep this going. So there's so there's a few. There's one, I agree with everything you said. And, and there's a few things I want. I think you have to like massage a little bit here. I too am one of those interesting customers where I am a part of a bundle. So I'm a T-Mobile customer and years ago, T-Mobile did the deal where you get Netflix for life. And so it's just built into my cell phone bill. So I don't actually think actively about Netflix, right? Even fascinatingly enough, when I was an employee, I still was just like, I actually don't really think about Netflix very much. When Stranger Things comes out, I'm there. When Bridgerton's there, comes out, I'm there. Other than that, you know, I don't really participate in the, the show and, and especially Netflix originals I often watch a lot of older stuff that happens to only be on Netflix and then I'm like okay I'll watch it like right now I'm watching Blacklist the Blacklist I, I got like four seasons behind and I was like let me go ahead and just binge the show on Netflix but if it had been on Hulu I would have binged it on Hulu if it had been on HBO Max I would have binged it on HBO Max like I was pretty agnostic because it was about that piece of content and that piece of content is not a Netflix original and so that's one piece of this that I think we need to talk about because in the advertising deal there are some shows that they will never be able to show on the ad tier because of the contracts that they have with the organizations that they've licensed from so the only thing that's guaranteed is that you can watch Netflix original content but as I just said as a customer, I do not typically watch Netflix original content. Like I am looking for those specific things that just simply happen to be nowhere else. And so that's a very core thing. Right? That's another aspect of this is that you know, we're saying this, there's a user persona question here. And so the question does become, with our persona though, we're very passive people. As long as I tell T-Mobile to continue to pay for this, we'll be cool with it. As long as you continue to let your card continue to be charged for it, we're very passive. So we're obviously not the people they're most worried about. And in fact, and when you think about UK, so United States and Canadian customers, they are oversaturated in the UK market. So they're pretty well situated here. So all of their growth and what's and what came out in the quarterly report is happening outside of the United States. So it does make sense if you do an advertising tier in those non-UCAN places, it absolutely makes sense that it might work more effectively there because one, you don't have those customers yet, so they've never had this non-ad experience. Two, and I want to be clear when I say this, they're not necessarily the premium customer, right? We know that the price for Netflix in UCAN is something like it's over $10 a person. So it's a combination of the premium tiers, lower tiers, the average is like $10, which is far and above everyone else in streaming. But then when you go to outside of UCAN, their pricing is similar to the rest of streaming. So you're talking about two, three, four, five dollars a user, which is not sustainable for the amount of content that Netflix had to create. Add to that, in many other countries, there's actually requirements that you make the content in that country. For instance, France. In France, you actually have to use 
writers, producers, directors, actors from France. And so you can't subsidize your costs, right, by making that content somewhere else and then bringing it over. So there's extended costs there. And so it makes sense why advertising in some locations would be what people would consider to be the the thing that's going to capture everyone, that's going to help capture the, the lost revenue that they need. But what I think that, you know, most important part of this is about innovation, right? So, you know, the thing that we're talking about here is Netflix created a tech platform that allowed a piece of content to be delivered very effectively to every single person in the world, essentially. Like, all you have to do is download that app and you are streaming Netflix. You don't have to download the app. You can just go to the URL and you can sign up for Netflix right now and you can be going. You can stream something anywhere in the world, no matter how, how much your bandwidth is. Be in a country like Ukraine that is going through war and you can still stream a Netflix show. And I, and I say that because that's significant because many places would not be able to stream on the bandwidth that they're talking, that you're talking about in some of these, these countries. And Netflix was able to innovate that into existence. But what you cannot do and that you cannot, so innovation can get you into people's homes, but it cannot accelerate your ability to capture people's attention. And so that's the thing that I think is most fascinating about the Netflix story is that, you know, ultimately the reason that I have to have Disney and HBO is because the stories they tell are just so fascinating, so interesting to me that I legitimately cannot imagine a life where I did not have access to them as soon as whatever drops. Right. I wasn't that excited about She-Hulk. And then I was just like, but at the same time, I was like, that's my girl from Orphan Black. This is going to work out. And it was excellent. Like, I did not know I wanted this type of Marvel show. But somehow Disney, the company, knows that these are the types of stories we all need to see. And that is like, that's that little bit of that. That's that hundred years of storytelling that no one can change. You cannot change storytelling. So, you, know, you and I have been playing around. Actually, you primarily play around with the AI things. And then you send it to me and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to try it too. AI is great, but they're never going to be able to do a Mickey Mouse, right? There's something that's a combination of both like heart and like the tropes from like all of culture, right? That will always need a little bit of like the human touch and can't just be innovated through. And I feel like as the more I learn about Netflix, the more I think, why do you even want to get to 500 million customers? It's not really necessary to get to 500 million customers. What is necessary is to become the most pervasive and most admired media company in the world. I think that would be much more achievable than trying to figure out how to get as much money from as many people as possible. Like, for instance, they could probably do 50% less content a year and potentially be more effective in the content, its stickiness, being being very in like having things that literally you look at it you see it and you go wow like i can't imagine if i could didn't watch netflix like i know netflix on fridays they're going to release a new movie and that new movie is going to be something that's just tremendous that it's something that i'm going to talk about for instance i someone told me about this elvis movie i was very much like right and regardless of whether i like elvis or not it's still about Memphis. So you need to do Elvis story right. And this latest Elvis movie came out and I've talked about it every day for three weeks, pretty much. Right. Guys, like this is the most interesting, most compelling version of this story. And I didn't even know I wanted an Elvis story. And that's the level of media company that I think that Netflix should be trying to be. And I think that makes more sense than advertising. Because like you said, many of the users who are core users, the ones who will stick with Netflix regardless of whether it's logical or not, which is essentially the two of us. I don't think that they're going to be compelled by advertising. And in fact, to your point, I go across these various apps, so like Instagram ads, Facebook ads, Twitter ads, YouTube ads. All I can tell you is that I, not a single one of them has ever advertised anything that was even remotely interesting to me. I'm someone who oftentimes... I make a decision the other day. I was like, I need a new coat. We're going to Chicago. I live in LA. Let me go look at what coats look like. And I bought a coat and it was really nice. And then like days later, I got all the ads for the coats. And I was just like, not a single one of these is even remotely a coat that I would have considered buying. Like I'm not a North Face coat person. This coat got to have, this coat has to have attitude. This coat needs to do its own work. I don't need a coat that I got to do work for it. And so that's the like, so so to your point, it's like, how do you innovate? If you're going to do something, number one thing here is either, make better content or make ads so innovative that it's, that's really great. And I actually use Hocus Pocus 2, I think is a really good example. There were so many ads within Hocus Pocus 2. Like for instance, they in Hocus Pocus 2, at one point, they are in a Walgreens trying on makeup. 
And I was like, I don't know how much Walgreens paid for this, but this is a really good ad. I was like, this is so great. My wife was like, well, do you really think they would go to Walgreens? I was like, but would they not have? There is a Walgreens in like a neighborhood. I was like, it made sense. I was like, even though it was a little bit of a stretch, it still made more sense. And I was like, that to me made more sense than putting an ad, the interjecting an ad into my experience that I'm probably going to ignore because I know it's an ad. There's so much to impact there. And we're probably going to end this with your predictions on will AI come to content and streaming? You know, I'm deep. I dabble in the AI space. Machine learning is my technology, of course. So we're going to go there. But I'm going to go backwards into all of these things that, that you said. There's just so many interesting drops. One of the things that Netflix is going to run into, this is a prediction with this strategy of going into the ad-supported tier, is you're going to have a subscriber slide. People like me, who honestly can't justify the usage by the price currently, is going to see this as an opportunity to say, all right, do I want the privilege of being able to go into Netflix at any given time and not having to, okay, resubscribe when a show I like comes on? Sure. Let me go down to this bottom tier. But my usage is going to remain the same. If you keep dropping the same kind of of content uh, that is non-inspiring, my usage would be the same. And so what's going to happen on the subscriber side is not going to be an ROI. Yeah, you have this many users on this ad-supported tier, but they're not actually reaching me, right? What's the likelihood that you're going to have a captive audience that you're going to be able to build in this kind of user experience where you can guarantee that eyeballs are watching this ad and responding to this ad, especially if a lot of people like myself might just subscribe or slide down to keep access to Netflix? Unfortunately, I think you're right about the point that Netflix doesn't have Marvel-like franchise they unfortunately bought themselves that ticket with the way they entered the market. They were a distribution company. They weren't IP in the beginning. And when they created this new behavior of nonlinear TV, they created an insatiable appetite for content. The reason why Disney can create these franchises is because they take the time to go ahead and create these things. These things take time. HBO is another one where your subscription into HBO is kind of a bet that they are doing what it takes to create really good stories that you would want to be a part of because they don't release things all at once. They can buy themselves that time to go ahead and keep creating. Netflix never bought themselves that time. They had to just keep releasing content. And for them, growth meant more and more niche categories. So then they capture more and more niche groups of people but never deeply penetrate anyone. I think we're getting into the point where Netflix content has like a Netflix sheen on it, kind of like Lifetime movies do. We're getting into that. And that's because they've never really been able to hold... It is Lifetime movies. You see why it's hard to justify paying what's going on. Like, what's your strategy going to be? How are you going to create that kind of franchise content? The point at which you made about the Walgreens thing. Here's why I don't think that in in movie placement. Hollywood has tried this for a very long time. And I don't know a direct insight. I would like to hear from someone who actually works in Hollywood why this is not a mainstay thing. But I do think that it would change the kind of art that's made if every artistic direction was made by the the highest advertising payer there. I think some directors, some writers, some of the bigger stars would be like, this, uh, this uh, impacts the integrity. You could look at it as a business move and say, we need to offset the cost of producing this movie, this this $80 million movie, by getting a couple major advertisers to give us a couple million dollars each to help make it. But that would change things, I think. One of the things that I think is very interesting, too, is that I was reading this really interesting write-up that, so there's two newsletters called The Ankler. And so The Ankler has a bunch of different media people who've come together as like this group of people who often provide various insights about media companies. And so there's two things they said about Netflix I think are very important. And it also explains why Netflix has not been able to land those hits. Because ultimately we're talking about hits. And hits come from people, right? People have to have ideas. And the thing is, they were talking about the fact that even though Netflix pays more than just about anyone, folks still feel like the most important thing is to get a show on NBC, to get a show on ABC, to get a Disney movie made, to get a even MGM movie made, because it's still like those are the organizations that they most admire, right? They want to be a part of the Cool Kids Club. And Netflix, while while they have been able to purchase their way 
into the front door, um, folks still making them go through the back door, essentially, was the, the, the supposition of this particular article. And I think that's true. And I think that that's like, that's characteristic of why even when The Rock comes over and does a big blockbuster movie with Netflix, it's so poor compared to everything else that he creates. There's just a lot, there's a lot less talent who's interested in doing Netflix exclusive content. Until that changes, they're always going to have this problem where they're not going to be able to create the level of content that's sticky, that's interesting, that's compelling, that makes people want to spend top dollar. Because ultimately, that should be what they really want to do, is figure out how to get people to spend as much money as possible on this content. And you can't do that without talent. Talent's the number one differentiator there. So even to that point, Netflix has scaled back on some of its technology efforts and things like that. That made sense to me. I was like, sure, take that back. It makes sense to me why you want to get into gaming. It makes sense to me why you probably will get into podcasting because you need to create these content ecosystems that are sticky, that makes people feel like it's worth it to to pay those prices. I just don't think that they've gotten there yet. And I also was reading an article about how much these ads have to cost in order for Netflix to essentially break even. And it was something like $8. Like they need to have $8 per subscriber for an ad. And I was just like, wow, that's a very, very large amount for an ad. So for context for various users, look, it's probably one of the premier, like before Facebook started to have its tracking issues, it was one of the most expensive sources out there. And that's like three, four or $5 of subscriber or whatever. And so that's like pretty, so to be more than Facebook and Facebook used to be the largest, it seems like it, it seems like it's asking a lot, especially considering you and I are sitting here right now saying we're two people who subscribe. And even if we went down to the ad tier, we would be people who don't ever log in to actually watch the shows. So, like, how do you actually justify that cost? Now, having said that, let's transition over to Uber, right? Because we don't know anything about Uber's ad product other than the fact that in the last few months, Uber has partnered with Yellow Cabs and it's also talking about introducing advertising to cars. Now, let me explain to you how silly this sounds by telling you a story of how my life in Chicago used to be. Some people who are younger, because we actually have quite a few young people who listen to this podcast, and I say young, I am in my mid to late 30s, and so anyone younger than me is like young people. That's what I call them. That's what we say. If you get to a certain age, you decide you're old, even if you're not. It's an actual fact. But having said that, um, for many young people, there used to be a thing where you would have to, you would go out to a bar at night. Or you would fly into an airport and your only option was to get in the taxi line or to get into a taxi and you would get into that taxi and there were these annoying as fuck that would have advertising on it that made no sense. Like it would just be like it like literally that you would not have any idea why this was on there. Like sometimes it was game shows. Sometimes it was just straight up ads for like medical stuff. Like it was never ads for anything that any normal person I feel like like typically be using. It was just random stuff that would be there. And so what I would do because there was a power button and there was also a volume button. If the power button didn't work, I turned the volume down. If the power button did work, did work, I pressed the power button. I put it on my headphones and I completely ignored these ads consistently for years until Uber and Lyft came around in like or no what twenty. 13, 2012, whenever it came around. And so this has been done before, is my point. And when it was done before, we all used to ignore them completely. In fact, actually, the only time I think I've ever kept an ad on is when there was a whole bunch of other people in the taxi and I didn't want to hear them. You have a bunch of drunk friends and you're like, actually, I would prefer to hear this ad right now because y'all are a little bit too drunky and I do not want to hear this conversation. So I was shocked by this. <laughs> I actually have another view on the Uber thing. Let me wrap up this idea on the streaming thing. It is obvious. I don't want to be too bold and say that Netflix is suffering from a creativity problem or an insights problem or an understanding of the customer problem or is this a desperate move to appease shareholder problem? I really don't know. I think that this strategy of an ad tier program is very short-lived. The future of, I believe, online advertising is going to go down because of Apple, let's just say. Their privacy, it's going to be very, very hard. Google's the same. And Google made $200 billion in advertising. So let's Mm -hmm. just talk about how big this industry is, who the big players are. You're about to run up against these other big players. And again, we're going back to the ROI. Are you going to provide better ROI if I'm a marketer and want to place my ad dollars? 
is Netflix going to provide better ROI than Google or Facebook or whatever? you got to answer those questions for the market in order to capture that share. But I think that the advertising business as we know it is going to change. It has to change. Just as Google and search ads change the definition of advertising by introducing online advertising, it's going to change again with the advent of a couple of things, online privacy tools, and the rise of different ways of getting to know things. I think the question that advertisers are going to have to ask themselves is what are all the ways that users discover things? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be ads. Nobody's paying attention to them. There's other ways. It either has to be, you know, influencing some, you know, word of mouth. These you're going to have to innovate in this way. I don't think the ad business is the way to go. Uh, I was a long tyrant on that. Let's go to Uber. Oddly enough, I do think that Uber is in a unique position. To mm-hmm. Uber's a lot of problems. We talked about Uber already. And Uber would, quite frankly, probably be a better company for a company like a Toyota or a GM or a Ford. They should purchase mm-hmm. Uber. They would. Um, it would be a better product for them. Uber has the same issue, even to a, a large degree, that, that Netflix have. You have a very limited captive audience. The only time people are opening up your app is because they want to accomplish something very specific. You don't have a lot of attention span to introduce an ad to them. So it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to prompt them with an ad um, within the time it takes for me to choose a car service, put in an address, and capture me in that way. And so then it begs the question, what are the other ways you're going to do? Are you going to be annoying by giving me alerts and notifications all the time? I don't think that's going to work. You do have an opportunity within the car experience to capture me. And because Uber has access to so much data, where I'm going, where I just came from, if they know that I just traveled to Las Vegas for weekend or whatever, they took me to the airport from Miami. Now they're taking me from the airport in Las Vegas to go to where my hotel is on that app experience. Let me just give you this story about last time I was in Las Vegas. And I know this was a mule in a way, my taxi driver, whatever driver I was with, I don't remember if it was an Uber driver or not was like, obviously, you need to get some liquor, right? Sure. I know a place that's off the strip that's cheaper. I'll take you there. Want to go? Sure. Thanks for being so helpful, driver. He was getting paid for every head that he bought in. Because as soon, as soon as I came in, he followed me into the place, made eye contact with the person at the register and was like, there you go. Was I mad? No, but I understood the game. If the insight that Uber has is we can capture that. Hey, Walgreens or whatever liquor store, I have a rider I know you see what I'm saying, that they are in the position to be able to divert traffic and funnel traffic in that way. I do see a play there. They should have thought of this a while ago. However, this is privacy concerns as well. And I think that they're going to be, it's kind of a tricky thing. You know what people are eating. There are all kinds of ways to increase your user experience every time you travel with Uber. The thing is, I feel like then you have people opt in because to your point, I definitely would opt into something that's going to streamline my experience. Because even as you said that, I thought about the fact that on Uber Eats now, you can automatically add on a quick convenience store run or alcohol or things like that. And while I haven't done it, I appreciated the fact that it was really easy and it was built into the price, right? So I didn't have to, I didn't have to make a hard decision and say, oh, I have to do another delivery fee. I don't have to do another delivery fee. Maybe I should consider whether I need to add those things on right now. And so to your point, like that's actually thinking about the user because we've talked about that, right? Because Uber's number one purpose is to make things more convenient for people. It's like, we are going to bring these things to you. And so if they're doing advertising in service of that particular purpose is a different conversation. I think the biggest thing for me is in car is hard for me, no matter what. Right. Because iCar usually means there's going to be something that's predefined. Now, if they could make it a personalized in-car experience, I would feel very differently about that. That's the thing that they have. Yeah. That's the opportunity that they have. Uber should know by now. And they probably have this data. As soon as I land into a city, where am I going to eat? Where am I getting the things that are staying in wherever I'm playing? Whether I'm in a house or a hotel. These are the most immediate things that are on my mind are these things, where am I going to eat? Like this, you have that opportunity to capture my experience and ask the question, where are you going to eat? There are so many places. Not only that, where am I going to eat that's around where I'm staying? Uber already has that information. You know exactly where I'm going. So you can hyperlocate your suggestions and things like that. If if it were me, again, I think GM should buy this and they would create a Uber-like car 
this is what I, if I were GM or Ford, I would buy Uber. I would create mm-hmm. the Uber car because you're an Uber. You don't need a car that goes very fast. You're carrying passengers. You need a certain kind of car for the, the, what an Uber driver would need for a better backseat experience. Mm-hmm. The ability to interact with this ad display. Where are you going to go? Do you want this restaurant to be closer to where you're going or where you're going to go tonight? Or do you want us to plan this? There's so many ways to do that. Not only that, why aren't you putting the ads on top of it? Like steal from the cab industry. Why aren't you putting ads on top of the car? around the car. This is entire mobile advertising thing. There's so many opportunities there. I do think there are privacy concerns. Um, so, but so it, the, but what we're illuminating is that it's basically Uber combines like the kayak or booking.com mm-hmm. plus the open mm-hmm. table plus Yelp. Uber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus Yelp. And actually, I think that mm-hmm. actually makes sense. The more mm-hmm. I think about it, pri- pri- primarily because you know, one thing I will say, so for instance, uh, I went to, you know, I keep bringing up Nebraska because I think it's a great example, right? If as soon as I got to Nebraska, I took an Uber to the airport and then I, it would have been nice if it actually had prompted me like, Hey, where are you going today? Let me help you plan your trip. Because I then had to figure out how to navigate Nebraska. And it's like 50 miles between major cities. And the good steak was 50 miles away from where I was. And I was like, I got to have this good steak. And I wish that someone had helped me plan to know that it takes 20, 25 minutes for an Uber to get to me. So if I need to get my reservation at this time, I need to do it. So to your point, this could be, make my life more convenient. I would be very interested. That's like, right. I'd be very, That's very, right. very, very compelled by it. If this were a Chinese company, they would have already thought of this because they understand the super app concept very well over in the China's market. So I think a little late to the game. But yes, if the question... Uber should be asking is how do we along the journey of all the things that user is going to do? They ordered a Uber for a reason. What are all the things that they need to get done and how can you help them? They could do that. So one thing that's really interesting here is that we are decidedly against advertising or we don't think that advertising will be very effective for Netflix, but for Uber, because if it's in the service of the core customer, which we think Uber might be able to land, we think advertising will actually help. And again, that's not actually it. Isn't the advertising isn't helping product market fit? It's creating more value for your customers, and that's what this should always be about. It's like how you're going to create more value, not oh, we just need to make money because we haven't made enough money. If they don't do it in a sleazy way, they could muck this up. They could absolutely do it in the most sleazy way possible that makes people want to turn it off and not want to use Uber at all. They should hire us because we can help them make sure that they make the right insight. Build a product that works, right. Absolutely, absolutely. But there's an opportunity there. They do it right. Um, Thanks for that. All right, last question, right? Since you brought up this AI thing, and I, I dabble in this space a whole lot, is AI coming to streaming. And when I say streaming, I'm talking about the content people like Disney, HBO, Netflix in particular. Is it coming? And how will they leverage it if you had to predict? Being someone who worked inside of one of these places, there's people who are very interested in this, right? So so there's no reason to me to think that there aren't teams who are experimenting with machine learning and AI to figure out if they can automate certain parts of content because the most expensive part for any streaming service is the producing of content. And that's because you have to have writers, you have to have directors, producers, actors, whatever. It's one of the reasons why animation has become so popular, right? Because at least there's one less cost there. You don't have the the same price points for actors and things like that. Now, having said that, I don't think there's anyone who's even remotely close to actually operationalizing it. Like, I think it's still experiments that are happening uh, on the back end. And the other thing about AI, so AI is very interesting because in theory, AI can ingest every single script that's ever been written. And, and, and then you could also have next to it saying, by the way, and then this is how much the best scripts cost. And so you could say, create like a hundred million dollar script for me. And I think it could still fill tremendously, right? Because I think that writing stories is slightly different than writing um, content. So do I think an AI could create a really great lifetime S movie or two B S movie? Absolutely. Right. I think it, like today there's probably an AI that could do that. It can make a movie and I probably would watch it. Give me like me like a little wine. I'm trying to wind down on like a Friday. I don't want anything serious. I think it could probably create that piece of content right now. I wouldn't surprise me if something like that exists. 
Now, do I think that AI is going to create uh, the next Moonlight? Maybe not. Primarily because the other thing about this is that AI can only consume what has already been created that is easily accessible. It cannot access my story, right? It can't access your story. It can't access the millions or billions of people who have been historically ignored by media company stories. So there's, to me, there's a certain lack of depth, right? That could even come out of this. And I think ultimately, regardless of what is a billion dollar movie, even like last Avengers Infinity War, I didn't expect to cry at an Avengers movie. And I was like, I'm like one of them tough people. I'm like, whatever. I don't really get, I'm like, whatever. Really like a few, like Beaches makes me cry. I cry every time I watch Beaches. You know, there's like a couple movies where I'm like, all right, that gets me choked up. And I did not expect to go to Avengers Infinity War and cry on the first part of it. And on the second one, I didn't expect to jump out of my seat when the ladies came in in formation and were like, I honestly should have put Beyonce formation in the background because that's what it felt like. It was like, all right, ladies, line up because we about to whoop these people's asses, right? And I was just like, cool. I'm not sure an AI could ever create that type of emotional connection moment for a piece of content. Or at least the AI that exists now. Now, the one that, like, it's like the humanoid that eventually takes over the world, maybe that's the one that does it. But the ones that I've been looking at right now are woefully lacking for that emotional connection part. And so that's the thing that I, and I think that's partially because there's only so much written experience that actually is documented. I mean, there's something to the fact that the victor goes, the spoils, and part of that is that they get to write the story. And so there's a lot that just, you know, just doesn't exist in the world to consume, to really be able to tell fully realized stories from a technical perspective, in my opinion. I think that AI is coming. It already is here and it will accomplish these things that you're saying in much shorter time frame um, than you're laying out. I think at the beginning it will be human assisted, of course. All the moving pieces are there. We're talking about labeling. And I honestly think that if Netflix wants to truly be considered a tech company, AI, they need to incorporate AI generated content. Where they could test this is in the children's department, anything that's very easy to create to test this idea. Mm-hmm. But the technology exists. And you can take a look at this technology that exists for something like, let's say, Pandora, one mm-hmm. of the best AI algorithms that can choose music based on attributes. And they spent a lot of time dissecting the different parts of music. I personally think um, Pandora's algorithm for music selection is one of the best in the industry, better than Spotify, better than Apple Music, because of just how many labels they have for each song that they can then correlate and find a matching or K nearest neighbor um, to select. And you just have a really good experience with that. You can do this. Movies follow a template a lot like music does. There are 12 notes in music. There are certain chords. There are popular chords. You can absolutely go create an algorithm that says, here are the top 20 Michael Jackson songs in his entire career, or all the songs that stayed on the charts for more than 100 weeks. You can take that. You can learn it and say, now create me something new that borrows from, that this is your inspiration. And it will absolutely do it. It's already doing it today. We already have AI-generated original music that's happening. The same concept can be done with scripts. There are movies, the rom-com is a template, the thriller is a template, the hero story. These are all like templates and you can label movies and say this was the top performing rom-com. I don't know what the output would be. I think it would need human review. But do I believe that we are at the place where GPT-3 text can generate unique synopses of a story? or unique titles, and then you would get human writers to go ahead and flush that out. You know Dev. Dev, my brilliant friend Dev, one time waxed poetic to me about the similarities between Shakespeare and Tyler Perry. I will not do him injustice by trying to explain his thesis myself. You'll have to invite him on the podcast so he can do it himself. But brilliantly laid out the similarities between two disparate characters no one would ever connect these two and how their storylines are similar and so if dev can do it absolutely a machine learning model can do that and can recreate a story for today's times i believe it's possible i'm not (laughs) saying it's not possible i'm just saying that i'm not sure 
that it would be of the quality necessary to be like top 25 top 50 like i said i think that it's going to be um human assisted right it'll be the industry's dirty little secret people will get inspiration from it you know what i mean um, you, someone will test it and say, spit out an entire script, especially if we're writing for Lifetime. I really want to decrease the cost of making this or whatever. This is something I'm going to spit out over the weekend. It's going to be shot in seven days. Yeah, sure. Um, also, with just how much competition there is in streaming, that means that there's so much more need for more writers. You're not going to create new script writers overnight. That, you know what I'm saying? Like someone who's writing for HBO can't also at the same time be writing and developing for Hulu and for Disney and for Netflix and for all of the other streaming services and for Paramount and for, you see what I'm saying? There's an explosion of need. We're going to have to fill this need. We now have nonlinear content. Like there's no time frame. There used to be a prime time television time. There used to be what is overnight. There, none of that exists now. It's now just a deluge of who has the most content. How many minutes of the day can I capture your attention? I need more and more and more content. So someone's going to try yeah. it for sure. True. I, I definitely feel like someone's going to try it. One of the things that I am ultimately saying is that the Netflix model is not going to work long term. The Netflix model like, of what? Of, of Which Netflix of model? Like ex- extreme amounts of content yeah. that you have access to instantly. I think that yeah. they're going to have to claw back and have less content or maybe maybe and may or maybe i'm just wrong right maybe their whole strategy was just to get as much content to get started with and then their strategy is to pivot to less content later i don't know hbo max the house of dragons house of the dragon i don't know what it is i'm black i don't know what the actual name of the show is i just call it what i call it anyway the dragon show on hbo max it legitimately had numbers like Game of Thrones. It's like 9.9, 10 million viewers, which are numbers that people have not seen in recent history for most shows. And that show took, what, three years to bake? Four years to bake? Something like that. And in fact, it was one of the two options. Because the other one, they, were, they did the pilot and they were like, oh, no, this is not going to work. We're just going to cancel this. We're going to go with the other one. And this is the one that, that made it to the end game. And what's funny is that it's 50-50. Because right? some people are like, it's amazing. And other people are just like, it's such a terrible quality versus Game of Thrones. But the point is, still, you have the number of viewers watching it that are some OG before streaming became so pervasive type numbers. And so what we like, what I know from that is, is that really great content wins out. You're always going to have those outliers, though. You're always going to have those outliers who pull those kind of numbers. But th- again, I think 10 million viewers is sounds like a lot now. But back in the 90s, that probably would have been a 15 million, 20 million. The, the attention span is just so bifurcated these days that it will always be the Game of Thrones and the House of Dragons that, that are premium content. There is still a need for the deluge. And AI is coming to the deluge first. Let's just say that. No, I agree that the deluge is a thing, right? Because we, I mean, look at sci-fi. Sci-fi has not like the the, the movies that are on sci-fi. Horror those flicks. Are definitely, those are, are going to be the ones of the AI. Like honestly, deluge, no horror flicks. AI. You think I can't design an AI that's going to spit out a horror flick? Girl dies running in the woods. This is this this can be done, and and mass at scale for sure. Yeah, so so sci-fi is a great example of that. But at the same time, I don't actually know where the sci-fi channel is on my package. Okay, so that's all I'm saying. I am simply saying that I think we are kind of examples of what a deluge of content looks like. And I don't even know how to get to those channels naturally. In fact, when I'm in a hotel, oftentimes when I'm in a hotel, they have the regular cable, which by the way, why doesn't every hotel now have the TVs that you can just stream from your phone? It's like, why do I need to look at your basic cable package? But anyway, oftentimes, like, I'll be clicking through, and, like, it's when I find channels. And I was, like, the sci-fi channel. I was like, oh, I forgot about it. And it was, like, a show where tarantulas are, like, volcanoes or something. And I was just like, what are you talking about? This does not make any sense. And I think they may have also been aliens. I'm not sure. That's how crazy the, the show was. I was just the, traumatized. There, there was a show on TV about storage units, overdue storage units. That hey, that show was buy. pretty good. They used to find some really good stuff, though. Okay, there you go. There you go. Is this not the deluge? Is this no, not? But the thing is, there was a show still... based in Miami about a tow truck company. They oh, go yeah, around they South hilarious. Beach and. Okay. 
Okay, so I you do you do live in the deluge. You do live in the deluge. Like so, I either like really really trash reality shows that only five people like because that telling show was hilarious. You, you don't think one, AI can like, write that? You don't think well, AI no. can write that? Well, no, because that's live. That those are live scripted shows. Yeah, exactly. I believe AI can come to. There's the other one. AI can absolutely write reality TV. They can absolutely write those prompts. But the thing they is, can, is, all you need. Exactly. All you have to do is feed those notes. That's what a machine learning model does. You feed those notes and say there were three, and you would it'd be all in the labeling. Create a scenario between three women and two guys. One woman throws a da 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 da. That's create that scenario. But what I'm saying is, is all you have to do is cast the right people for that. You don't need a script for that. That's right. I mean, but no, somebody's creating the best example of a reality star because she was literally like, "I'm gonna go on this show and make sure people know I'm a rapper." And I'm an entertainer and That's I'm right. going to leave the show and be big. And she was. And so the thing is, I feel like you don't need to. Script. I think that the better examples are these like really terrible lifetime Christmas movies. Because they have, they have every possible pairing, every possible town. And it works out well. I'm just simply saying, what is going to actually make someone pay money consistently? You're right about that. And the, the way right to make, pay money consistently is to have something that's so compelling that you want to watch it. Because even like so to that try. point, like so Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings spent a billion dollars, uh, Amazon spent a billion dollars on the new Lord of the Rings show. Yeah. I got through two episodes. I'm like really determined to potentially finish it because like, yeah. like Lord of the Rings, but it's a great example of, they were like, well, we have the, the IP and we think we could just make anything. And you can't. Because like the Lord of the Rings movies were so compelling. The actors were so great. The story was so great. And obviously it was made based on the book. But many of us hadn't read the book when we watched the movie. So all we were going on was what we were seeing on the screen. And I just remember like being at the edge of my seat. And this came out when I was in college. And so as college people, we actually watched the Like you could go to the theater and every time one came out, you could do like the marathon. And so we actually did three of those movies in a row, sat there in the theater to watch those and loved every second of it. And so that's simply what I'm saying. Like there, there needs to be... A f- a, like instead of the would you rich, do that again today would you do that again um, today this sounds all, like six hours age. i'm a different yeah age that's what i'm saying i'm i'm, 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 I'm capturing that no, i'm capturing that, that that's a I very limited yeah if i were in college still i would i'm a different age group now i think there's college students because for instance like the black panther movie that's coming out there's lots of people who've already bought the show and you see black panther one and two back to back like I and it's actually older people too like i literally was looking at uh, a, a known influencer's um page and so many people said yeah i I bought it so i can see back to back but it's because especially for black people black panther is the height of like everything that we've always wanted to see in a show yes and and it's not just black excellence because it's also just like this is a good ass movie it's like this is blackity black and as good as hell and so that's why i'm willing to watch both one and two and these were older people these are like people in their 40s and 50s who are writing this so again it comes back to this point of like this is something that is so different that's so amazing and so excellent that like i honestly am upset like i told my wife i was like i'm upset because our schedule says that we can't watch this to november 22nd i told her i was like i can't even look at the internet for 11 days right and so that's the level of interest that i have in this show and i just these are flashing providers no, no, but no, I don't think it's flash of the land. I think this is taking your time and creating something of significance. That's another podcast. I, that's an, you know, I don't know. I got to think about that some more. I, 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 you know, case in point, you know, Amazon couldn't recreate Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no, I think they did a terrible job, but I didn't say that everything will work. I'm just saying that when it does work, like, again, the main reason other that I continue to have Netflix, other than the fact that it's passed away through my T-Mobile account, because I want to see Bridgerton and Stranger Things, because those are the two shows that I watch on Netflix. And I literally wait for them. I was reading an article about the preview of Bridgerton, and I'm just like, well, when you comment, because I'm here for you. So there is something about that that is significant. And because that more so than anything else is the reason I still have Netflix. Not because I care about netflix but because i'm looking forward to seeing those shows and that's the type of pmf that everyone should be looking for right what keeps them there every year i go through a purge the closet purge what am i not wearing anymore things around the house because i don't like to pile up a lot of things 
I also do a subscription purge. Like there are things that are just a lot of money getting eked out of your account, one ninety nine at a time, five ninety nine at a time. Yeah. You just you miss these things. So you got to go through an audit to see what the hell is this. Apparently, I've been subscribed to Epics for the last year. When was the last time I watched something on Epics? I did not know War it was paying five ninety nine. Okay. War of the Worlds. I thought that oh, yeah, was like, um, HBO. No, it's it's, it's the main epic show. That and Godfather of Harlem are the two. There you go. I got it for Godfather of Harlem. When's that show come out again? I've been. It's been dormant. I've been a sleep cell of a customer for all of this time because that's the only way that I had it. And I just recently... So I got to do this purge. I don't see good things for the streaming category just because of how much competition there is. Netflix is already going to face competition. Obviously, the obvious competition is the Hulu, Disney, and the HBO. But then they're also facing competition from other real tech companies like Amazon and Apple. And because of those two in the space, Apple having Apple TV and Amazon purchasing MGM just to sell more toilet paper, they're creating more competition from other retailers like Walmart, who's now bundling Paramount Plus. You see how nasty this market is about to become and what kind of behaviors are they going to create when all of them are trying to eke out? You know what I mean? Like, I, And you, you forgot TikTok and YouTube. There you go. It's a question of, there's an interesting stat that came out not too long ago about uh, whenever the award season was about how people don't even watch awards anymore. They're just watching the highlight clips on YouTube. And it's because I don't think that people are really interested in the content itself, more about FOMO. One of the things I'd I'd say to Netflix is you've got double hypotheses going on. On one hand, they've introduced a feature that allows people to watch movies in 2x time. What is it? 1x time? 1.5? They're basically alluding to the idea that you know that people aren't really watching. They're just, mm-hmm. they even have a category called casual viewing. Can you imagine being an actor or a movie and find that your title is in the casual viewing category on Netflix? Mm-hmm. My heart hurts. But you don't have engaged users. But you're also saying that you want to market to them because you be, think they'll be engaged enough to click on an ad. But it also says something, that behavior is, is, says something. You're not really watching things to become, as you say, immersed in it. Like the last time you saw Lord of the Rings. That's not why we're watching. We're watching TV for something else. And I don't know what the answer is. That's probably a gunny question. What insights do we have on the, the viewing patterns of people in the world of streaming? Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are The Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experience.